Hello, welcome to another Book Shambles author extra. Remember, we are doing the London launch of The Happy Brain by Dean Burnett on May 4th at King's Place. A live Book Shambles with Dean chatting to Robin Ince. Tickets at CosmicShambles.com and the King's Place website. And don't forget our Albert Hall events as well. Space Shambles on June 15 with Robin and Chris Hadfield and Festival of Spoken Nerd, Jim Al-Khalili, Apollo 9 astronaut Rusty Schweikart. And then the two Book Shambles live events there as well, June 4 and June 11. Guests include Lucy Green and Adam Buxton. And as always, thanks to our Patreon supporters. If you'd like to become one of them and get amongst all the great rewards that are available, uh, exclusive bonus episodes, extended episodes, book bags, all that sort of stuff, it's patreon.com slash bookshambles. And now on to today's episode. There's a great thing. One of the things that I... uh Two days ago, I was down doing a, a, a gig down in Brighton, and I got talking to a woman who's training to be a vicar, and her daughter's uh, 13 and a half years old, and she wants to go into computer science, but she mm. feels, at 13 and a half, am, am I allowed to? Is that where I'm going to go? And her mum got a book. Oh, and that's, sweet. it works. Oh, how lovely. Oh, that's really nice. I think it's a really, uh, I mean, that's, so... Can I get a bit of background first? Mm. So your description at the back of the book is that you spend a lot of time uh, creating monsters uh, that destroy various di- different things yeah. in, in movies. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm a VFX animator uh, in private life, so um, that's pretty much what I do. This was my first graphic novel, um, and it was a webcomic I was doing in my own time, uh, just as a hobby. Um, but yeah, for the most part, I, I started as a hand-drawn animator and then moved into computer animation and when did you come across because Ada Lovelace now of course Ada Lovelace Day there's uh, she's uh, you know a lot more in public consciousness than she would have been 20 years ago 10 years ago really even if you said that. so when did you first come across her well I came across her because uh, I know Sue Sharman Anderson who um, uh, started Ada Lovelace Day which is that sort of festival for women in computing she's a, f- a personal uh, friend um and uh, she was doing the first day of Lovelace Day. I think it was the first or possibly the second in 2009. Um, and uh, we were in a pub and she said, Sydney, you're a woman in tech. You should do a blog post for Ada Lovelace Day. And I'd never heard of her before then. So um, I just looked her up on Wikipedia and, uh, and did a comic, like a very short little intro comic. Um, I think in literally an evening. Um, and it, it 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 wound up spreading from there. Well, it is really. I mean, I don't, for those who don't know the book yet, who uh, the, the the few haven't bought it, there we basically have one version, which is the the. Unfortunately, she had quite a short life mm-hmm. and uh, died uh, the same age as as, uh, as her father. I think we're both thirty six when we yeah. died. Um, but then using the pocket universe <laughs> so let's start we go off on the thrilling adventures of both Ada Lovelace and Charles mm. Babbage who are very different characters uh, I mean Charles Babbage uh, it, it's, what I love about this comic book is, is it's not merely a comic book uh, and even when I say mere by the way that's not to the little comic books I love comic books but huge number of footnotes and you know there are speech bubbles which are mm. fun in their own right but then if you go down to the bottom they give you the whole background of where you found the, the journals the biographical information the scientific information information and sometimes the subsidiary characters so you go off into the possible adventures mm-hmm. uh within this world 
Yeah, I mean, that was that was actually a joke. Um, when I did this initial uh, little strip, and it was really a, a comic strip, it was, I think, six panels and a punchline. And um, uh, I was just summarizing the Wikipedia page with some gags. And then at the end, of course, it's, you get this very sort of uh, 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 ending that she dies and he never builds the machine and then nothing happens for another hundred years. So I just threw in this gag that, no, no, uh, uh, you know, as we all know, they actually built this computer and had all these thrilling adventures, um, mostly because I wanted to do a fun sort of steampunky drawing. Um, so I just threw in this sort of steampunk adventure drawing at the end. Um, and uh, that drawing was taken by a lot of people to be... Uh, the start of this comic, this imaginary comic uh, that uh, would follow them on these adventures. So I started dr improvising these comics of what would what would happen in this imaginary comic if a comic existed about Charles Babbage and Ada Lovelace in these Stimpink adventures. And the um, in terms of choosing which direction you're you're going to go in, because you you explore a lot of ideas, both of. Uh, early computer science, and then, I mean, with the pocket universe itself, I mean, this is, can, can you explain a little bit about the rules, ah. the laws <laughs> of the universe that you have placed them in? Yeah, I, the, the laws emerged quite slowly because, um, of course, you could go in so many different directions, and, and it's it's already been imagined so many times, you know, this the, the difference engine actually being built. There's the uh, Gibson and Sterling novel, and there's very serious dark takes on it, um, but I, I was just doing it for fun. So I knew first it had to be a funny uh, universe. So uh, rule number one of the universe was that E equals MC squared, uh, where E stands for entertainment. Um, and therefore, the only things that have mass enough to appear in the comic have to be entertaining. So that was my first rule. Um, I had a, there, there, there was a whole bunch of rules. It's a two-dimensional universe. Um, obviously, and it's uh, it's black and white because it has to be a very low information um, universe. So you discard all the color information. Um, uh, so yeah, I mean, it, it was it was really a sport. I mean, it was very much improvised. Um, and I think you know, I came up with these rules. Generally speaking, when I'd come home from work, you know, at eight or nine at night, and I'd have. <laughs> I'd have a gin and tonic and then just start sort of improvising all this stuff around them. Um, having spent, you know, rendering time, reading over, um, you know, whatever documents I could sort of browse up on the internet during the day. What are the challenges where, I, I was thinking in terms of cartoons, there are, do you know Daryl Cunningham? Oh, sure, yeah. You know, Daryl's stuff, I think, is, is fascinating for the amount of, it, they look so simple, yeah. these books, and yet you go, somehow they contain an enormous amount of information in one page, whether it's psychiatric tales uh, or Super Crash, mm -hmm. there's one about uh, Ayn Rand, which is really the only Ayn Rand you ever need to read. <laughs> I think Ayn Rand is covered by his book Super yeah. Crash. But that, that, for me, what, what were the challenges of managing to convey the level of information you require, but within a format where you've sometimes only got maybe yeah. five frames on a page. I mean, Daryl's a wonderful designer. Like, he's he's a graphic designer, and he's he's so good at, at getting that information across. So I, I'm not. I, I went for density. Um, so I just piled stuff on. Um, the, the footnotes is the main sort of device, because uh, the most famous thing about Ada Lovelace, of course, is that she wrote her, her paper as... Uh, in the format of footnotes on someone else's paper um, because she wasn't um, in a position 
to write a formal paper of her own um, on Babbage's machine, she did a translation and then added footnotes. And all her own uh, thinking on the subject is in the footnotes. So um, there is a bit of a joke in the comic that most of the meat of the comic, the information of the comic, is squeezed into the footnotes um, at the bottom of the page. Um, so, uh, yeah, the footnotes and the endnotes and all this indexes and appendices and all the supplemental material almost drive the actual comic off the page. Well, it means it has a lot of... It, there's a sense of play. Mm-hmm. There's a sense of a game. I mean, you put lots of things in there where the the, the equivalent of, of when we were kids and we would cut things out of comic mm-hmm. books to make the spectacles oh, that yes, are required. <laughs> you know, th- those those kind mm-hmm. of ideas. Um, I can't remember the name because that, that paper... Aren't her footnotes something like three times longer than the actual paper yeah. that the, the guy wrote? I think they're, they're 2.8 times as long. Um, it's Menabrea, um, who's... Uh, he was an engineer in Italy. Um, it, it's quite a... It's an odd it's an odd comic I guess about an odd story because the the Babbage himself never published anything on his machine except for the most vague um, sort of summaries um, so the only publication in his lifetime on it was this Menabrea paper which wound up actually being sort of an accident because uh, Babbage was in Italy for some reason with all his papers and uh, giving a talk that Menabrea took notes on, and then it's Menabrea's notes that Lovelace translated and then added her own footnotes to. So it's all this extremely odd, oblique approach to this mysterious, invisible machine that uh, that Babbage had in his brain. Babbage seems... I mean, there's lots of little... I mean, in terms of things that uh, were written about him, uh, in terms of other people's journals, uh, the terms of the fact that everyone seemed to want to kick him very hard on the shins <laughs> to shut him up. I mean, this is—he's—he's uh, he's, he's not an easy character, is he? He's, oh, Babbage is wonderful. I mean, for a comic artist, he's just an absolute gift. I was—I um, was actually really surprised that he hadn't been used in fiction. I think in any serious way before. I mean, he appears as an idea, Charles Babbage, you know, the inventor of the computer, as this very sort of serious person. But he wrote he wrote a lot of stuff about every other subject than his computer. Um, he wrote an autobiography, which is wonderful. He wrote papers and pamphlets and articles on every topic of the day. And he was this very sociable, very kind of... Uh, Public intellectual, I guess he would have been at the time, um, and he was a real character. I mean, he was just extremely funny. All, I, all most of his dialogue, I could just take right out of his books, and and he's in, incredibly funny right off the page. He's just this huge personality. He's does, he's difficult to describe. I, I think if you just sit down with his autobiography, you can sort of nail him in a second because he's he's very very specific character. Yeah, didn't get the, didn't get the right knighthood, did he? So he rejected that, <laughs> and that's a fascinating thing. And then you have this wonder—a genre I didn't know mm-hmm. about, which is the genre of of the uh, solid universe, which is actually cheese mites. Yes, you talk. There's a beautiful <laughs> bit where I, I think he's he's gone to see Queen Victoria, mm-hmm. and uh, Ada Lovelace says, "Okay, you fill in while I go and repair that thing, but t- tell tell her anything, but don't tell her that cheese story." <laughs> now, can you? Uh, it's such a fascinating yeah. thing. This. Well, and it's a, I think the cheese story to me is so much the essence of, of how the comic came to be because you just come across it in his in his autobiography, which is more of a his autobiography is, is all these sort of his dinner party anecdotes. I mean, you can tell this is stories that he's told over and over. And there's this entire chapter which is this extremely convoluted science fiction mystery 
where we're in this odd universe with all these strange rules, and then at the end it turns out that that the universe is a piece of cheese and it's inhabited by cheese mites. So um, I, I originally put the gag up in the webcomic um, just because I could picture him telling this insane story and hitting this crazy punchline and everyone in the room being like, okay. <laughs> um, and then someone in the comments uh, who was, I, I get a lot of kind of, computer scientists and Victorian scholars and all this sort of eclectic crowd that kind of gathers around this subject. Um, someone actually uh, said, oh, no, this is this very famous genre, this cheese mite thing. And Arthur Conan Doyle had written this poem about the cheese mite universe. And, uh, um, and it was this common trope, this, the, the cheese mites, uh, because back in the day, most cheese had these little insects sort of crawling around. So they were used all the time as this sort of exemplar um, and I, I think it was the cheese my thing is so much what the comic is about which is uh, the Victorian world of all these sort of intellectuals in math before you had the two cultures thing you know the break between the humanities and, and uh, sciences and all these people would meet you know everyone knew each other you know writers and, and scientists you know would meet in the same room and, and chat and have these very common touchstones um, and the comic wound up being this sort of common touchstone as well around Victoriana and, and around uh, computer scientists' love of Babbage. He's such a... Babbage and Lovelace are both such beloved figures, I think. Even vague as they I, were, maybe, in people's imaginations, they were these saints, secular saints, I guess, to a lot of um, CS people. So um, there... And then you could bring in all the Victorianists, you know, and literary people, and then comics people, and so on. I mean, it, 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 I, I was just, I guess, a medium for this sort of stuff to coalesce uh, on the internet. I, the real life of the comic, I think, was on the internet, and, and then the book is a, a solidification. <laughs> I guess, a, you know, a cheese, the cheese version of the milk of the, um, of the webcomic. Well, I, suppose, I, I presume the whole cheese thing comes out of basically the more people have microscopes. Because I remember my dad saying that my granddad, who uh, was was a uh, um, did some preaching and things like that, but with cheese, he had a little microscope and he'd mm-hmm. have a look at the blue cheese and he'd go, "It's not crawling enough yet." Yeah, yeah. So there must be a whole. This is. Oh yeah, and well, there was also a thing. Um, I, there's so many. I have about. Two, 35 potential comic stories, you know, around this stuff. But there was actually um, Cross, and Andrew Cross, I think was his name, a scientist who claimed to have invented life through electricity uh, in the 1830s, I think it was. And and then it turns out that actually he'd he'd just contaminated his uh, experiment with some cheese, so it was just these cheese mites. Um, But Lovelace knew him quite well, so um, it's, and so did Babbage, of course, so it's this nice little... Um, kind of potential life creation, micro universe, uh, poc- a pocket universe inside the pocket universe, maybe. Nice be, I, I want to get a microscope and I want to get some cheese now. The uh, um, this uh, th- the starting point of the story, I think, is there's a, a real beauty in, in and horror as well mm-hmm. in the fear of because Ada Lovelace never knew Lord Byron, did she? Her, no. her father, and, but the. It seems that the drive towards mathematics all came from, as you explained, the fear of poetry. So she was placed in an environment where poetry must be kept away from, and, and math was presumed to be <laughs> I mean, almost as if it, were, it was something that was passionless. Yeah, it, it, it's such an odd story. I mean, it's so. I think the original impulse was just from seeing that line on the Wikipedia page that 
this very famous thing that her mother trained her in mathematics to keep her away from poetry. And it's, it's in a lot of the letters. And even Byron himself, Lord Byron, had said um, he hopes that she, is not, that she does not become poetical um, because he knows the disadvantages of this temperament, of the poetical temperament. Um, uh, I think it was a very Victorian mindset, I think, this, or, or I guess pre-Victorian, um, late Georgian, that um, there was the romanticism of poetry and the passions um, that inver- in- inevitably led to madness. And, uh, uh, and then there was this new world, the rational world, the, you know, the industrial world, which was going to kind of take over. But um, the idea of temperament, of, of people's inherited temperament, was, was very powerful, especially with Lady Byron, who was obsessed with inheritance. And the poetical science, that moment where the revelation comes, mm-hmm. where she goes, a poetical science? Ah! Yeah. We, we thought it could just be a dull thing of numbers, but it turns out numbers are fascinating and beautiful too. It's wonderful, and we're, we're actually not sure if she sent that letter. It's a, it's a fragment in, in Lovelace's papers that she says, you deny me poetry, um, but can you give me poetical science? Um, and I think Lovelace herself was looking for a way to fuse these two kind of volcanic uh, roots of herself. Who have been your, in terms of comic books, because uh, I think they, they do work incredibly well for getting ideas across. Mm. And uh, who, were, who were the people that, when, when you were growing up, what, what was your first experience of comic books? Oh, we had... Um, Mad Magazine was a really big one. Um, we, we, I, I, had, I think I inherited this giant box of Mad Magazine. So we had Sergio Aragonis and... Um, and the density of Mad, you know, they had the fake advertisements and uh, um, the parodies and this and that. that it's, I, I guess Mad Magazine was probably the, the real thing I was aiming at. Um, uh, I, I really love old comics, like the old black and white, like really old 1930s and 40s. So Milt Caniff um, and, uh, you know, people like that uh, visually. Um, but I, I think it was largely Mad Magazine. I was kept kept going back and poring over old Mads to to see how they got so much stuff in a single issue um, because it's just absolutely densely packed with a bit of prose, a bit of comics, and and it's all very episodic. And I presume you because you've got a lovely uh, cartoon from Punch in the book of mm-hmm. the old lady of Threadleaf Needle oh, Street absolutely. bailing out the uh, bankers yeah. in 1890, was it? It is, and that's Baring's Bank, which eventually could not be bailed out. <laughs> <laughs> so that's, I mean, that, that's another beautiful, I, I presume you have quite a collection of, of these bits, which it's sometimes social history is told mm. best in what may well be considered to, at the time to have been almost low culture. Yeah, I mean, you can pick up, you know, a collected punch uh, for next to nothing on eBay. So I, I bought all these punch editions. Uh, so I've got shelves full of old punch and illustrated London news. And, uh, you know, that Victoriana, it's it's lovely to page through them because the ink is still coming off on your fingers. And, uh and yeah, a bit of comics, and uh, and and then an artist's impression of a thing, and then you know a little monster drawing in the corner, like a medieval manuscript, just for no reason. It's it's uh, it's really delightful. Are you going to do another? Have you got, or maybe you're doing already? Have you got another project? Um, uh, that... I do. <laughs> Are you allowed to mention it yet, or will that curse it? <laughs> it would probably curse it. I'm 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 working on more computer comics but very slowly I, I have a day job uh, still which is quite uh, time consuming so it's difficult to find the time for comics 
But you, it does seem. I mean, I, I think this this book has worked very well in terms of uh, being something which has been able to engage sometimes quite young people in, into an idea. And it's, do you feel, even when you would do, once you started to get the feedback when you were, were increasing the number of, of cartoons on the internet and you're getting the feedback from whether it's historians, computer scientists, or people who are just aspiring towards it, did you get a sense that this, this has, it has it purpose? There, there, there's a real purpose to it now. Um, I actually, I found I had to fight against that impulse because as soon as it, it became sort of worthy and educational, it, it started to die and I could feel it sort of collapse um, as soon as I was trying to, uh, as soon as I was trying to force it into serving a purpose as opposed to just existing in this sort of crazy sort of space that it had. So it was quite a delicate um, uh, emulsion, I guess, yeah. uh, that, that could collapse, I think, at any moment. So it was definitely... When I sat down to write the book, I had a single instruction from my publisher, um, which was try to keep the spirit of the co of the web version. Um, so to keep that lightness and that that complete lack of intention, I guess it's very difficult to do that intentionally. Uh, so hopefully, I sort of got it across. But it it's it's sort of anti-educational in that I would only put something in if I myself could recapture my initial moment of excitement mm. of discovering it, and then I would put it in trying to keep that sort of, you know, wow, look at this thing. And, and then I just let it go. So I, I leave very little, I guess, um, uh, elaborated. It's more of a pointer towards finding stuff out in a serious way. But that's why I, I like the, the things which are basically going, and here, and here's this, and here's that. And, that, and that's what it that has the sense, of, I think, of the way that a, a, a mind works, which mm -hmm. is very rarely is it a, a linear route, uh, you know, the, the, the narrative, the, the three-act or seven-act narrative. Mm -hmm. It's the fact that they're going, now we're going to go to Bull, and mm -hmm. now we're going to go off to uh, a, a way of... Uh, I, I'd never known about the gambling, for instance. The, mm -hmm. uh, the, towards the end of her life, she spent a fortune, lost a fortune on horses, didn't she? And, yeah, I mean, uh, I think, I, I, to be honest, uh, to be absolutely honest, for on Lovelace's personal life, um, I tend to sort of glide over it, um, partly because um, it's quite awkward. I, I think she had some mental illness issues. The whole poetical thing that Byron was talking about, I, I'm fairly sure was this bipolar disorder that... Um, and Byron's a bit of a poster boy for, for manic depression or bipolar disorder. And, and to me, Lovelace shows a lot of those signs, you know, these, these strange periods of mania that she would go through um, are, are pretty distinctive in her letters. So um, I, I didn't want to make too much fun of it. Um, uh, also because they're as... I don't know. This, this might sound strange, but I, I was always very kind of aware that, that Lovelace and Babbage are these very funny characters in the comic, but they were also real people. And mm -hmm. I had to respect, I felt I needed to draw a very sharp line between my characters, such as they're in the comic, and the real people, and, and never conflate them uh, in any way, but just because it seemed really disrespectful. Um, so I think the darker stuff with, with Ada, although it's, it's incredibly compelling and, and it would make such a wonderful comic, uh, it, it just felt uh, like I couldn't really go there. Um, but uh, there's, a, there's actually, I can plug someone else's book. Uh, Miranda Seymour has a new book on um, uh, Ada Lovelace and her mother. Um, and she's a very distinguished historian. So she's, she's really going in depth into you know, the gambling and their relationship and, and much more about Ada Lovelace, the person, and her personal life.
Brilliant. Who else are you reading, by the way? Who, who, if you, if I can take one comic book recommendation from you, doesn't actually, or it can be a book. If you, uh, I don't know how much you still read uh, uh, comics, but uh, I wonder if you have something that this year has particularly uh, inspired uh, or excited you. Oh, my mind is just a complete blank. I mean, if I, if I was going to plug a single book um, that was actually incredibly helpful to me, uh, not a graphic novel at all, um, uh, is Charles Petzold's Code. Um, for some reason, that's just floated to the top of my head as, as the single most useful book because I came into this book as completely a non-computer person in any way. I mean, I, I work on a computer in very difficult software and I just resented every moment of it. Um, so as soon as it became clear that I was writing actually a fairly technical comic about computers, I, I felt I had to sit down and learn about them. And, and I found code um, so friendly and also so specific and, and so beautifully constructed. Um, it was such a model for me of, of how to convey a difficult subject without ever being patronizing or, you know, quote unquote educational, uh, just with a lot of clarity and passion. So I, I really love that book. You also, you, you, Isambard King de Brunel pops up mm -hmm. and uh, kind of almost topless and, uh, <laughs> you know, muscled. One day. <laughs> have you ever seen um, a Bob Godfrey's film about oh, yes, Isambard? Yeah. Great, yes. Uh, oh, Godfrey's just—he's—he's uh, he's such a delight, and yeah, it's the perfect subject um, for him, I think. Yeah, I thought it was a wonderful. Uh, I can't remember if it's just called Isambard or. It's called Great. Uh, Great, yeah. that's it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's hard to find, unfortunately, but it's—it's it's a wonderful, uh, and it's got a great song too. Uh, I can't hum it to you though. All the time. No, I, I I I can picture some of the the kind of the, the graphics and the images from that. But oh it was, yeah, uh, lots of pumping pistons and things like that. It's. Uh... I remember going to see. Was it the uh, in the film? I think because I'm not sure if the Great Britain it doesn't exist, does it now? It's uh, the Great Eastern exists, doesn't it? Or uh, other way around. The Great Britain uh, is a fantastic museum in Bristol, and they have the whole ship itself beautifully restored. It's the Great Eastern they had that was broken up. Uh, completely. That's the huge, huge. The Great Eastern is is would have been absolutely massive. It was the size of a skyscraper, but I don't think there's anything left of it. Yeah, because I remember after watching that cartoon, someone said, "Oh, I think it's still down in Greenwich," and spending a whole Sunday walking up and down and going. Eventually, now I think we've been <laughs> we'd have seen something that uh, huge by now. You can see the slips. You can see where it was supposed to be launched from um, at low tide um, on, on the Isle of Dogs down at the end um, in Millwall. Can you really, though, or am I going to spend another Sunday <laughs> wandering around there? <laughs> There's a plaque and everything. <laughs> Thank you so much for that. Oh, you're so welcome. This podcast is part of the Cosmic Shambles Network. Josie Robbins' book Shambles was produced by Trent Burton of Trunkman Productions. Trunkman Productions.